By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. I'm excited to have on the Conscious Fertility Podcast today, Dr. Amy. And I'm excited because she's got a lot to share, but I wanted to really talk to her about PRP, what women are, and I'm seeing on Google and on the internet, this ovarian rejuvenation. And I have patients here in Vancouver that are traveling to San Francisco to have their ovaries with PRP. And so I've been asked, can you find somebody to talk about PRP? So I got, who also is known as the Egg Whisperer, Dr. Amy on the show today. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. First of all, I'm a fan of your podcast, your show. So I do want to shout out that if you're on this journey, check out the Egg Whisperer. I have an episode on there on low-level laser therapy fertility, which one day we should do a, an update. Um, but I just want to share with you guys. So Dr. Amy, um, she's just somebody out there transforming how we do reproductive care. She really has that patient-centered care at the um, heart of her approach. Um, she's come up with this method called the Tushy method. So we're going to talk about PRP, but I, I'm just curious, can you tell us a little bit about the Tushy method and, and how you got into what you're doing and how you see what you're doing is supporting women and why it's so important, why you're so driven to have all these shows and do all this outreach and support the people going through this journey? Absolutely. I mean, when you're trying to get pregnant, it's so hard to figure out where do you even start? And sometimes you go to your general OBGYN, they're well-intentioned. You ask them to check your fertility, and then you just get a CBC, an HIV test, and maybe a blood type. And I see that even now in 2023, and it just was blowing my mind with how inefficient things were for fertility patients. So I just basically went to my husband and I said to him, and I always throw my husband in here because he's like a genius and I love him to death. But I said to him, honey, look, there are five things that I do on every fertility patient. I said, I check the tubes. I look at the uterus. I look at the sperm. We check hormones and I look at genetic tests. I said, give me something. He loves crosswords. So he does like all those word finder things. And so he was like, tushy method. I'm like, done. And so five tests that you need to get your fertility checked. It is not hard. This stuff is not rocket science. Otherwise I would not be doing it. I'm not that smart, right? It just takes three things to have a baby. And people sometimes miss those basic steps and just needs to stop. And I just get so fired up about this because I want anyone who wants a baby to have a baby. And I want anyone who wants to have an answer as to why they're not having a baby to get the answers. So that's the reason why I do what I do. And so you're a big fan of coming up with a good diagnostic to lead your treatment plan. Yes. And the Tushy method then, you said five things, you said them, but let's just spell it out. So T is for tubes. Fallopian tubes. So I'm a uterus. These are my okay. tubes, right? The embryo transport system, right? So embryo goes down the fallopian tube and lands in the uterus. Okay. So for our audience, I will let you know that she's given us a visual, but they're going to be listening to this as a podcast. However, if you want the visual, because it is a good one, if you go to laurenbrown.com, we put up the uh, 
the video on our website in laurenbrown.com. And Dr. Amy, I'll send you the embed code too. So if you want to put them up as well, but it was a nice image. So we got T for tubes, U for uterus. And then S for sperm, right? Sperm is 50% of the embryo. So we want the sperm to swim straight. We don't want them to be dizzy off of booze or marijuana or too hot because they've been in the sauna for too long. So getting your sperm checked. They also have the balls method. Those are for, that's for guys. And each of these has a website. So you can go to ballsmethod.com and learn about the guy stuff too. And then the H is for the hormone. So that's looking at your ovarian reserve, like your FSH, estradiol, AMH. And I always throw in like your TSH, your vitamin D and your preconception labs as well. Like the maybe infectious disease labs, your blood count, your blood type. You know, if you're a little bit on the curvier side or think you might have PCOS, you know, do that kind of work up at that time. And, you know, you mentioned the guy side of it. We've had Dr. Paul Turek, reproductive urologist on here. We've had Olivia Poyer, medical doctor, acupuncturist who's written a book on working with male fertility. And what they're sharing is, like you said, 50% of the DNA. And they share that men have been underdiagnosed and underserved and too much emphasis on blaming female mm -hmm. and that unexplained infertility, recurrent pregnancy loss often is attributed to the man. Even though their semen analysis looks normal, there's other issues. So do you also like to do DNA fragmentation tests? Because that seems to be becoming more common in 2023 at clinics. Absolutely. So DNA fragmentation and DNA methylation. So I refer my patients to pathfertility.com and also to, I think it's getlegacy or givelegacy.com. So that's a home, these are home kits that you can have delivered to you without dealing with like big tanks. Like we used to send patients in the old days to kind of figure out and get um, all squared away and sent off. And I'm curious as we talk about testing and then we're going to move into treatment like PRP, um, in our practice, our naturopathic doctors that do like naturopathic medicine and functional medicine, they love to do a deep dive. So you talk, they do like a thyroid panel. They don't just look at TSH and T4. They go into the antibodies, free T3, free T4. They do the gut microbiome, looking for issues in the gut. They look for other inflammatory markers and triggers. They just seem to be doing a lot of extra testing, looking downstream to see what could be going on um, holistically in this body. Where you're practicing now as of 2023 as a physician, but where are you with testing? Are you still kind of just mostly mainstream or do you also encourage or um, access the functional medicine testing as well? I'm just curious because I know you're a very integrative holistic style, but I don't know where you are with testing. Yeah, it just kind of depends on the patient. So I like to get to the root cause, leaving no stone unturned before I design whatever the treatment protocol is going to be for them. So that whatever we do, we don't wish we had not figured something out beforehand that could have helped us achieve our goals. So for some patients, I do micronutrient testing. So I do that through Quest Diagnostics. They have this huge panel of micronutrients that I can now test patients for. I do microbiome testing, not gut per se, but I do it so I don't have them send off a stool sample, but I do it inside the lining of the uterus. So there are tests like the Emma, the Alice. I also do tests for silent endometriosis and sometimes for receptivity with the ERA test. So that's all part of my egg whisper diet, which is what I call my recipe for IVF success. And of course, success doesn't mean, unfortunately, always being pregnant, but success could also mean feeling like you did everything you can in the cycle. So that's all part of like getting your diagnosis done, designing an IVF cycle, applying what you learned to your cycle protocol, and then embryo transfer prep, and really like making sure you've done all those tests. And if you need to meet with an immunologist or functional medical doctor, that's the perfect time to do it as well, even if you haven't done it before. And then the T is the transfer. So 
all things and stages. And that's how I kind of compartmentalize the journey with patients. And I always tell them like, for example, I'll meet a patient now and I'll say, I just want you to know, I think we'll be getting to a transfer in January, just so they have that expectation. It's not going to be the next month. It might take two to three months, but we're going to move things forward. We're always going to be doing things so that we feel like, again, we're giving ourselves our best chance. So not every, and this will tie into PRP then, not every patient, it's like a rush, like we got to get do this next month. Kind of borrowing it from the Chinese medicine style, that quote that says, nourish the soul before you plant the seed which we interpret as preconception care, get the egg and the sperm in the uterine environment to their peak fertility potential, and then retrieve those eggs or go for the transfer. And so that's kind of your style as well. A hundred percent. You need to be able to run a 10 minute mile before your transfer. That's my new thing, actually. <laughs> I say that now because I feel like so many of us have been so sedentary through what we've been through over the last few years. It feels like everyone has gained like anywhere between 10 and 30 pounds. And I'm like, Let's start working off that weight and get ourselves cardiovascularly fit for this marathon, which is called pregnancy. Great. And I want to, the reason to my listeners here, why I wanted Dr. Amy here is in our practice, and I, you've had on the Egg Whisper show, we do acupuncture and you've had acupuncturists on there. My colleague, um, Dr. Lehander Rubin's been on your show. And there's a meta-analysis that just came out of July 2023 showing acupuncture leading up to transfer on transfer day increased live birth rates. And really that's what we our patients are after and what you're after. So there's acupuncture you can do. There's low-level laser therapy. I love doing that in my practice. I've been a big fan, advocate, I should say, bringing that from Japan and the Netherlands to North America. And I know you've talked about that. You've had me on as a guest, and I know you recommend patients LLT because they come back saying, Dr. Amy wants me to get an LLT machine. In Canada, PRP is only, as far as I'm aware, is only being used in the uterus. I'm not aware of clinics. I don't know if it's, they can't, that are not allowed, but they're not really, nobody's really doing PRP in the ovaries in Canada. So when people ask, what else can I do? Cause you said, leave no stone unturned. So we're doing diet, herbs, acupuncture, mind, body, low level laser. And I'm like, well, there's PRP. And I send them to your website to get educated. And I want to share with you and to our listeners, wow, do they love your intake. They say that you spend time with them. You answer their emails. They just feel so heard and they feel that you give them so much information to think about, right? You're really, so just thank you for that because the feedback has been wonderful. And then the, one, the, the, the ones that have gone so far have really enjoyed their experience with you and again, felt really taken care of. And so now we're going to talk about why are you doing PRP into the ovaries? What is PRP and what are you seeing? Yeah, so I think that every single woman should be offered PRP before egg donation. And the reason is that it might give a woman a chance to have a baby with her own eggs. And if she doesn't do it, she would never know if it would have helped her. That's my bias. And this is for people who still want to try with their own DNA. For people who are ready to move on and pivot, I don't think that they should consider PRP. They shouldn't delay their timeline, they should go ahead and just move forward with, let's say, donor egg or donor embryos or whatever their journey might involve that will get them to baby faster. And the reason is I've had now countless, I've done over 300 cases and counting, and I've seen things that would just blow your mind, like an AMH of 0.01, then it goes up to 0.7. I extract seven eggs, get two healthy embryos, and then the AMH goes all the way back down within three months. 
and she's back to where she was basically perimenopausal or menopausal. So I learned this from a patient of mine. She was 47 years old. She'd been in menopause for six years. She showed up. I hadn't seen her for a few years. And I had told her, there's really nothing I can do to help you other than donor egg. And she showed up with three follicles. I'm like, this is so strange. Where did you get these from? She's like, oh, I did PRP with Dr. Murphy at Rejuvenating Fertility. I'm like, who is this guy? So then I had to reach out to them. I'm like, who are you? So then we got to know each other. I'm like, you have to teach me what you're doing because now I have so many patients doing it. Like they can't, they were flying to New York to see him. And I said, I just want to learn how to do this myself. And so I got all the equipment. I got, you know, he taught me, he showed me how to do it. The same procedure that he does that has worked for my patients for so long. And then I started doing it. And what I would say is not all PRP is the same. So a lot of people, you know, there's studies that say it doesn't work. There's studies that say it does work. In my hands, it does work. I'm tracking data over time for patients. Their AMH levels are going up. Their FSH levels are dropping. I am seeing a higher mature egg number, a higher blast rate, and what's most important, euploid rate and live birth rate. Obviously, it doesn't help everyone. I say that it may help your case, may. And I think it's harder for patients who are, let's say, over the age of 44 for obvious reasons. But I think women can be candidates who have a high egg count and may not have good egg quality for women who have a low egg count or women who are, let's say, just over 40 and you just want to start with PRP. You don't have to go through an IVF cycle and then say, I'm going to do PRP if that first cycle doesn't work. You can do it even before your IVF cycle. And I also do it for egg freezing patients. So let's say you're an egg freezer, your AMH is low, or you're over 40, that's something that you can start off with before your egg freezing cycle to increase your egg count. And it basically is taking your blood, spinning it, and then taking growth factors from the blood and then injecting it into the ovary. And do we really know exactly how it helps? No. Could it just be the trauma from the needle going in and you know how I do that? Possibly, but I also think it's a combination of infusing the platelet-rich plasma with how I inject. Because you know, there is data, for example, that people who do back-to-back egg retrievals, you might have a higher egg count in that second egg retrieval. And I think that might have something to do with the trauma to the ovary in the first egg retrieval that might increase the egg count the second. So it might have something to do with that as well. So this PRP is not new because they've been using this on joints to help rege- regenerate right from injuries. And so now you're putting this into the ovaries to help the ovaries respond better. And I've heard some docs say maybe just like the acupuncture and the lasers have helping with um, vascularization in the area, more blood, they're able to pull out the follicles. Um, you're able to pull out more than into recruitment because of that blood flow. So you, you don't know exactly no. why. I mean, how is it someone who's basically menopausal can all of a sudden, you know, have three follicles? Like it just blows my mind, you know, like that idea. Like if you, when the, the first study came out, it was a doctor in Greece and his pregnancy rate, he was like one in 800 patients can get pregnant or something like that. And I was like, this guy is a scam artist. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Like, he's just, I don't believe it. And so I spent years saying it's impossible because it, you know, it's just not something that we were trained to believe because once you're out of eggs, you're out of eggs. And then when I saw it for the first time, I'm like, ooh, I kind of feel bad that I said that about him because he's a pioneer. I mean, like literally there are people that have babies right now. And I think actually you might have referred my first life birth from Canada mm-hmm. and, uh, um, I, know, I know who you're thinking of. Yes. And so I'm very happy about her story and everyone else's story. And I feel like 
had they not had that had the procedure and they would not have a baby. So I want to talk about the data because we have all sorts of listeners. I will share with you that um, this one is so fertility focused. So we'll have the, those trying to grow their family. But because we've been on the Conscious Fertility Podcast, we have listeners from all walks of life because they're interested in this consciousness of bringing more joy into their life, regardless, growing their life within, right? Is the theme here. With the fertility side though, I got to ask some of the questions because we have physicians on here as well. And when I ask other physicians that aren't using it, you know, they're, they're skeptical like you are, right? And they go, well, the data is not there. So I got to ask some questions and I have to share that that's common. The data is not there because Western medicine, evidence-based medicine, as in it makes sense. We want to see the data. I remember in Canada, we were one of the first clinics, an acupuncture clinic, so a natural clinic, no physicians in our clinic, medical doctors, and we started doing AMH routinely on our patients before it was routine in Canada because Canada social medicine, so FSH, estradiol, LH, TSH free, AMH is not. So they never recommended it because it was a paid thing. They only recommended MSP. And I learned when I was in Europe and then America that you guys were doing it all routinely, made sense, so we started doing it. And the fertility clinics ridiculed us and said we were taking advantage of them and wasting their money to order this test. Now, every patient in Canada gets an AMH test and they have to pay for it out of pocket. So it was ridiculed. The acupuncture in 2002 when I started was ridiculed. The latest study shows increased live birth rates, especially if you do a series of treatments leading up to transfer and transfer day. The low-level laser therapy, we don't have the data there. We have some cool data out of Japan where double blastus rates and we have small studies, animal studies, some humans here and there, but we don't have robust robust data. Where are we with PRP? I'm Where getting you. I'm getting it for you. I'm, okay. I actually have patients input their data. So when they onboard, so we put all their previous levels and then we track them over time. So I, I um, uh, keep a log of their follicle count. And then two weeks after the right before PRP, they have a baseline AMH. Then two weeks later, they have another AMH and follicle count. And then we're tracking people over time. And so already we know from the patients that I've taken care of, you know, we're seeing the things that I share with you. And we're hopefully going to publish um, at PCRS in the next meeting. So we're hopefully going to publish something there here very, very soon. So we're collecting all the data so that we can write it up for people. And when people say you're being taken advantage of, I say like that doctor is just a very caring person, but they just haven't had the experiences that I've had. And not every PRP is the same. Some people just have, use their own tube. They think they're going to give patients PRP. They're spinning it. And when I see like some of the videos that patients post on Instagram about all the tubes and they have to go in six hours before, and then you have to come back six hours later. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think they're really getting PRP. So that's the issue is you don't really know what you're getting, what you're getting as a patient. So making sure you're going to a clinic that actually can tell you, yes, the AMH does go up, the FSH level does drop, and I have seen success stories in your age group, then I think that would be the person to do it with. So you're measuring and following up, but there's still not great published data, but clinically you're seeing a difference. And like so many, one of the podcasts we have from a local reproductive endocrinologist, Sean Dragoni says, he's the same idea, leave no stone unturned as long as we know it's safe because patients are looking, they don't have 10 years to wait. And so you know, just like he uses homeopathy, he likes, he recommends um, IV therapy, he recommends acupuncture laser, yeah. and yeah. he thinks the PRP is very interesting. He just says, I don't see all the research yet, but um, yeah, I get why somebody would go and do PRP because he uterus it in the uterus and he sees changes for uterine receptivity. Um, so why, of course, you know, but he says, I can't say that it's conclusive because I don't see that kind of data yet, but 
yeah. through time we'll know. Yeah. And it's not an easy, so I use a spinal needle. It's a nine inch spinal needle. It's much smaller than an egg retrieval needle. And so that's the other thing I do differently than other clinics. And it's not technically a simple procedure like an egg retrieval. Imagine like taking an, it's like an acupuncture needle, passing it through the vagina and then just trying to go around the ovary. It's not, it take, technically, you have to be extremely careful making sure you're not getting into anything else other than the ovary. And then, you know, in some of these patients, their ovaries are extremely small. And yeah. so that's the other thing I can imagine, like when people are saying they're, you know, they're looking at the studies or doing PRP, if someone's ovary is barely visible and they're using that big needle that people use during an egg retrieval, which is a lot of what centers do, who knows what they're doing with that PRP. So you know, I, I highly the doubt they're even putting it in the ovary. So technique is important. Now, I, I'm not a medical doctor, so I've never done a retrieval, so I can't even visualize this. So I'm going to just, uh, like you can, I'm going to, I'm asking questions just through my imagination. So the ovary being, um, you know, three-dimensional here, right? Are you wanting to put it into just the skin of the ovary? Are you trying to get it into the follicle to impact the egg? Not the follicle. So I'll just go around the edge, just right below the cortex of the ovary as much as I can all around the ovary. Because yeah, because if I'm wondering, because it's got to spread to those follicles, right? That's the goal. Right, right. And so right. there could be eggs somewhere on the other side that you, it may be difficult for you to. Right. Treat. I'm not getting, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting the entire surface area. But the more surface going... area it would be better. Yeah. You shared that even the needle, and we know this from retrievals and transfers, they're constantly changing the needles and the tube for transfers and they get better results. They study this. So <laughs> this, the needle, how you're doing the needle will impact your PRP results. I think so. And I think it makes it safer for patients, less complications. So I tell patients it's actually less invasive than an egg retrieval. You don't need, it's like doing a facial for your ovary, basically. You just show up, no prep, you have to take your pants off. Then the other part is, I think it was Greece that's doing a lot of this, or was it Brazil? Greece, right? Greece. Uh -huh. Greece. So it seems like there's two um, conflicting advice, and I want to know what your advice is. One advice is do it, and you have to do an IVF or try and get pregnant right away. And the other one is do it, and you got to allow like three months to allow the recruitment and all that stuff to happen over time. What are you seeing? What are you recommending? Because I have heard it from both both ways. Yeah. So you don't know until you check. Every patient's uh, response is going to be different. So that's why I just tell patients every couple of weeks come in. So after the PRP, get an AMH check. If it's gone up, depending on what's next, either your period start or ovulation, do a follicle check next and then see if you should start STEM. I start STEM. And that's the other thing, luteal phase, ovarian stimulation. When I was in training, that second wave, we used to laugh at people that talked about it. Like if there's another wave in the ovary, like you can actually start stimulation then. Now that's my standard protocol for women over the age of 37, because for whatever reason, egg quality is better if you start STEM right after ovulation for a lot of patients. And so your egg count might be higher. So that's why I will check their follicle count at their next period or ovulation, whichever comes first. If, they're, if I see a bump in their AMH, and then we'll talk and compare that follicle count to our baseline and then ask ourselves, does this look like a good cycle? For us to start with, the answer is yes, we go for it. I mean, I just uh, today I did an egg retrieval on someone that I did um, PRP on and she'd never gotten more than two eggs and I got her six. So it's like, you know, it's doing something. Again, my mind's going, so I got more questions for those that are local and those that are not local. Again, a lot of the Western thinking, medical Western medicine thinking would be 
let's do one PRP and we're done, right? Because mm -hmm. it's easy to study, <laughs> right. it's convenient, et cetera. Right. And then there's, my mind is like, okay, let's figure out what works and then try and study what works versus let's try and make something fit into a, mm -hmm. a, a study. And so if somebody came to me and said, because this is quite common, let's just do acupuncture on transfer day, or just give me one laser treatment <laughs> and acupuncture treatment. I wouldn't be expecting amazing results from that. I would expect that I need to do a series of treatments to help correct the imbalances where they have PCOS, endometriosis, poor blood flow, they're overweight, all these things you're talking about, lack of sleep, constipation, gut, so many things we want to correct. So it's not the treatment, is does the treatment correct the imbalance? And so when I think of PRP, and it was just because a lot of patients go in and they get one PRP, I think of the recruitment that the follicle goes through that contains the egg. And it's over, it's almost a year, but it seems like the last um, hundred days seems to be really, really crucial for that follicular development for the follicle, which contains the egg to reach its peak fertility potential. So theoretically take time and money out of it. I would think you'd want to do a series of treatments during those hundred days leading up to ovulation or a retrieval, because you'd want to keep impacting the follicle during its follicular genesis. That's just me thinking out loud. Yeah. I mean, I, there are doctors that just tell patients commit to two sessions, 30 days apart, and then start your retrieval 30 days later, but I'm not the most patient person. And so for patients who have easy access to me or a clinic that I can coordinate follicle checks with, then I encourage them to track and monitor things. And if things look good, just go for it. And I have seen beautiful results from just one PRP. So I do have patients that I'm like, you know what? Um, let's do a second 30 days later, just because I'm not seeing as much of a change that I would want to right now. And then we see a beautiful difference, like a month after that second one. And I have patients that have done like six ovarian PRPs with me because they're banking eggs or embryos over the course of, let's say a year. And I just completed a, an entire session with a patient of doing this for her because she has a very unique situation and her last egg retrieval was the highest number of eggs she's ever retrieved. So yeah. absolutely. I mean, like you're right. I mean, take money, time, all of that out of it. it is very possible that there could be a cumulative benefit to doing it over all over the course of a year, you know, every two to three months, who knows, but I don't, no one's going to do that study. Like no one's going to randomize two groups of people. No, no. And then but, I actually have a cohort that yeah. come to me for menopausal symptoms. They have menopause, they're in menopause, they're having hot flashes, they don't want to take hormones. I do a PRP, they have three months of relief and they feel amazing. Rejuvenating or supporting those yeah. ovaries. So yeah. let's set some expectations for the people that would be listening to this because let's, there are people that are going to be listening to this. And I, I'm thinking this now that we've opened up Pandora's box, we said this, they're thinking they're going to have to go every week or do something like that because people get desperate and understandably the desire to want a child and to grow your family is inconceivable, no pun intended. It's crazy. And so people can get onto this merry-go-round and it becomes unhealthy of how much they stop living and how much they're doing to try to improve their fertility. And so can we manage the expectations here? And what do you think is realistic? If somebody's coming to see you where it'd be an opportunity to move into donor eggs, because most mm -hmm. of the ones that I'm sending to you, they're told, please do donor eggs, right? Yeah. And then they come to me and they go, is there anything else we can do, right? And, um, I, you know, we talk about what we're doing at our clinic, the natural stuff. And I said, there are some people that are doing PRP. What's that? And then I connect them with you. 
So what's the expectation? They're going to do one, two, three PRPs over a period of time. What, what, what would you say is realistic in general? And then obviously there's individual cases. Yeah. On average, it's one. Okay, good. And one, then so, so that's great. So on average, you do a PRP one, and you see results. One, absolutely. Okay. I see results after one. I do. And then what I, how I counsel patients is I, I say this. I say, don't have high expectations. There's a high likelihood this will not work but you will never look back and say you didn't try everything before you moved on to egg donation. So There's two ways to look at this from a very materialistic left brain logical. Um, they would say, well, you know, you were the patient's desperate and were taking advantage because they, it won't work, but you're saying, no, you're not saying it won't work. It's just, it may not work. And you are seeing it some work. And now let's talk about where Western medicine takes the head off the body often. So it's just a body. Chinese medicine, there's a mind body. We know that so many people before they move to donor egg need that kind of closure. It used to be they need to do one more cycle just to, to know that it's time to move on to donor egg when they've been told not to do one more cycle. And now you're saying some women can do PRP and if it doesn't work, it allows them to know that I've done everything I can. Now I can move on to my donor cycle or stop trying to conceive. Um, and like you said, some of them in this process end up conceiving with their own eggs. Absolutely. Like I have doctors who call me and say, Amy, like, I don't know what else to do for her. She's done five IVF cycles. She doesn't even make a blastocyst. She doesn't want to do egg donation. Can you do ovarian PRP for her? And I'm like, sure. But I should say at the same time, I do all the things that you do for your patients. I do the LLLT, HGH, you know, look at all the things. And then I take her through a protocol is it the PRP that helped this patient make blastocysts that she's never made before that are euploid? I don't know, you know, but I think it might have something to do with it. Yeah. In Chinese medicine, the latest research they're talking about, and Lee Holland Rubens, who you had on your podcast, whole systems, traditional Chinese medicine, where rather than just acupuncture, our protocol, it's whole systems. What do we do clinically? We do dietary therapy, stress reduction. We add supplements. We add herbal medicine. We're doing a series of acupuncture. That's where she saw a significant increase in live birth rates, right? And yeah. so same thing, you're doing human growth hormone, you're doing PRP, all these things. And it's probably not just one thing to to rejuvenate and to take somebody from subfertile to fertile. Thus far, we don't have a one pill that works, right? We have to do multiple things. I wanted to, you know, you tell the story about reversing menopause. This is how I got into the low-level laser therapy, and then I got more PRP questions for you. But it was Dr. Oshiro in Japan where he was treating somebody, he's a pain specialist, medical doctor treating for pain, back pain, in menopause, age 55, and her cycle came back, and it happened to another woman. Her cycle came back. And then they did a pilot study and then a larger study with women diagnosed with infertility. Where this ties into PRP, why did I bring that up? A, the stories are similar, right? Like most discoveries are, are, are by accident, right? New discoveries like this one is in, this, in the orthopedic world, in the, in the injury, pain and injury world, often now they are combining the PRP with low level laser therapy. So prepping before and after, right? And um, my patients that I've been telling them about you that have gone to see you, that's the thing that I love combining because again, it's that compound effect. You know, there's in, in my world, holistic, whole system, Chinese medicine, I could be just doing acupuncture. Then I can add dietary therapy to it and I can add supplements and I can add Chinese herbs. And then there's laser and PRP. To me, it's like, it has that accumulative compounding effect on the body, right? Um, and so 
are you also doing PRP and also recommending laser? They bring their laser with them when they come here. I'm going to tell you now also something that's on our show that nobody knows. I've kept a little secret. So I have some really, what I like, good professional laser systems. And so um, most people familiar, I have BioFlex systems in my clinic, but the Giga Laser out of Denmark, people love and want, and they want us to do a study with it. And so I have that in my clinic in Vancouver. I'm oh, playing wow. with that. So we have uh, that in the clinic and uh, uh, hopefully we'll open that up to patients as well to use as well. So um, I'm excited about that as well. And the PRP and the Giga, to me, I get excited about. Yeah, totally. So when somebody comes from, so I'm thinking now selfishly, the people that I see in Vancouver, but our listeners are from all over the world. You are located in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. people are in the San Francisco, San Francisco area, they know how to find you. But so the, the Canadians, the Vancouverites, um, in particular, but in Canadians, if they're coming to see you, is there a time in their cycle that you prefer to see them? Uh, many of them may be planning an IVF cycle. Is there a timing that you want to see them then to work with their IVF cycle? No, it's not cycle day dependent. So I just say, I do it only two Wednesdays a month. Okay. And so I just say, pick the Wednesdays the most convenient for you. And then we'll just start tracking things after that. If somebody's doing going to start stims next week, is it beneficial to do it or wait for another cycle? No, I would say try and do it two weeks before you start STEM. Okay. But if that's my only option, I would potentially do it then, um, even if it's a week before STEM start. I've had patients where I've done a egg retrieval and a PRP at the same time on them. Okay. And unfortunately, the IVF lab that I work with will not allow me to do the surgery center that I do PRP at is different than the IVF lab that I do my egg retrieval at. And it's all, you know, it's just how the world is. I can't get everything I want everywhere and that's fine. Yeah. But if I had my way for patients who are, let's say, embryo banking, I would do their first egg retrieval, do PRP, and then just see if that could help improve things. It, well, I don't think it would hurt for the next egg retrieval. And you're looking at um, AMH and day three FSH estradiol after you do the PRP to see if there's a shift. Yes, and follicle count. And follicle count. Mm-hmm. And how long is the, when somebody comes in, it's in and out procedure? Yeah, so they'll basically check in an hour before their procedure time, nothing to eat or drink after midnight. We ask them to hydrate really, really well the day before because it's about 60 cc's of blood that we draw in one big tube. That gets fun. It takes an hour. And then we take the five cc's of PRP in a, in a procedure that's just like an egg retrieval. So we go into the OR. I'm there. Ultrasound machine is there. Anesthesiologist just puts you under just a very light nap. So it's unconscious sedation. So you're not talking to me, listening to my really stupid jokes. I'm kidding. I don't tell stupid jokes. I just concentrate on what I'm doing. And I'm constantly saying to myself, careful and gentle, careful and gentle. Just to that, you know, I just have these things that I do to make sure that I do. Yeah. Totally. They and, just recover and they're gone in two hours from the time they check. And because they're they're sedated, they they can't drive away from your clinic then? if They cannot, no. So if you don't have a support person to travel with you, if you're coming from another country and you don't have another person, there's a nursing service that you can hire. Um, alternatively, I can do it very, very well with just fentanyl and no propofol. If you add propofol, you have to have a companion pick you up. If it's just fentanyl, you can leave the clinic on your own. Yeah, because in Vancouver, a lot of the clinics just use, the, they freeze in fentanyl and then somebody leaves, often leaves with you because you're out of it. They still don't get you to to drive drive away. Usually, right, you can't drive yourself, no. Uber. Uber. <laughs> All right. And 
are there any side effects or any, are there any concerns that people should be paying attention to as they start to uh, think about this and do their homework? Yeah. I mean, as with any procedure, you can have a reaction to the IV placement, anesthesia medications. You can have damage to organs like blood vessels, bladder, bowel. Luckily, like I said, I've done hundreds of these now and haven't had a single complication, but nothing is risk-free in life. So you just have to think about those risks, make sure that you're willing to undergo them for the likelihood of success in your situation, and then move forward with that information. And then just to re recap, what I heard is usually individuals that are doing this, you know, they've tried a lot of things and they're not willing or ready to move into donor egg and they want to have leave no stone unturned. It's usually one PRP protocol that you do, um, but sometimes people will do two PRPs um, in general. And after they do PRP, how soon after do you then want to see um, antifalco counter AMH? How soon after do you test? Uh, two weeks after the PRP is the first test. And depending on what that level is, then we make a decision as to whether they should come into the clinic for a follicle count or not. So if the AMH, is there a reason you would tell them not to? Like if the AMH hasn't changed, will you go and look at the... I mean, I've been really lucky. Most of the time it actually has gone up. Okay, so I'll have them come in <laughs> and then we'll come, then we decide the best timing, whether it's at period start or ovulation start, whichever comes first, that's the next time I'll check. And what's the variation that you would see? Because, you know, 0.1 to 0.7, is that something to really be excited about? I asked for this reason. Can I tell you why before? I got to tell you what happened is I did a talk once in... I think we were either in Germany or Tel Aviv. I'm trying to, it was in Tel Aviv. And I'm on a panel with a reproductive endocrinologist from Switzerland. And he won't test AMH because he used to. And he said that he took three vials from one woman and he sent two vials to the same clinic, changed the name, and another vial to a different clinic. And all three vials had different results. So he lost faith in it being a a predictable measurement. And so when somebody sees a change in their stuff, sometimes, you know, if antifalco changes by one per cycle, that's just normal variation. Mm -hmm. so yeah. So 0.1 to 0.7, I would be jumping up and down. Okay. 0.1 to 0.2 or point, like if you're undetectable 0 0.01 and I can get you to 0 0.04, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can get a follicle to grow. Right. Oh, so that woman at 0 0.01 undetectable, there's no follicle there. And I actually do the same thing. I draw my blood. I've been doing it for years. And then recently, this is a true story, about two weeks ago, I sent it to three different labs. I sent to Quest. I sent to Noble Infertility. So it's blot paper. And then that same company took my serum and they're running it on their platform. Every single one was the same. All right, my exactly the same. So I think the exercise that he went through is really helpful because he needs to see which lab he trusts, right? And so I know which labs I trust because I, I did that for myself. So I feel like I have consistency and I, I trust the, the AMH levels that I'm getting. If he doesn't trust it, it makes sense. Like, why would he do it if he doesn't trust? But he has to find someone that he trusts. Yeah. So you have, you've shown it was reproducible. You have confidence in your lab. So that's a key point. Not all labs are equal. And so for you, you, you are seeing reproducible results. And then for our listeners, because um, we have people in Canada and Europe all over when she's 0 0.1 to 0 0.7, the Americans love to have their own measurement. I think you guys, what are you guys doing? Nanograms and something? What are yeah. you doing? What is Nanograms it? Nanograms for deciliter. Right. And most of us do picomole per liter, right? Per liter. So 
So it's yeah. different. So just so you know, you you, you got to do the conversion um, because it's a different yeah. measure. They use different measurements for their estradiol and for their AMH. So those right. that won't transfer exactly. It's like when we talk to our American friends from Canada and we say, it's 20 degrees today, it's hot. And they're like, that sounds really cold. <laughs> Celsius versus Fahrenheit. So right. fair enough. The PRP, this is something that you've done. You've had over 100 cases. I've, I think over, three, over 300. Over 300 cases. Yeah. PRP is not is not standardized yet. So certain clinics are saying they're doing PRP, but it's not like the PRP you're doing. As you know, it's becoming obvious to my listeners. I'm very interested in um, low-level laser therapy. I will share that not all systems are equal. People are putting machines on their bodies, but I, I've, I've tested a bunch and know that they're not all equal. As tested as, can I measure the photons coming out of them? And so just because you're putting light on your body doesn't mean you're actually getting the benefit from the light, low-level light. And Dr. Amy has shared with us, same thing. Even the needle she's using is different than some clinics. And then how they spin the blood, um, all that stuff impacts it. So you're, you've been trained by somebody and you feel that you've been following your data. So you're feeling good about what you're seeing, but there's no big RCTs yet on this, correct? My understanding? Uh, yeah, there are clinics that are performing their own RCTs in-house. And I think it's just for their own internal, you know, they're just doing it internally to see if it's something that they should offer patients or not, but I haven't seen any published results. So that answers the why. Why aren't all clinics doing this? Um, well, I think clinics are so impacted by patients. They just don't have the bandwidth for it. And honestly, if someone has, let's say, a 2 to 3% chance of pregnancy with their own eggs, a lot of people just aren't invested in that patient's success anymore. Right. And I'm just not that person. I just get fired up about each and every case and each and every patient that I see, I'm sure, just like you. Yeah. And the RCTs aren't there yet for, like some clinics, there's pioneers and, and then some clinics wait until all the other clinics are doing it or they have, to have the comfort with the data to move yeah, forward. And, and I'm training other clinics. So I have about three or four clinics. I've actually brought it to a clinic in Canada. And then I'm training physicians here, you know, showing them how I'm doing it, introducing them to the team of um, folks that I use for the equipment. So I'm, I'm trying to get it to be something that more and more clinics will offer. And anything else you want to share as we wrap up here? Um, we got to let them know how to find you because you're you are on a lot of different platforms because of the outreach you're doing and the education. Again, thank you for that. Um, sure. And just your approach. Um, I shared a couple of times, but you are a fan of integration. And as you can see, you're looking, <laughs> you're a power of one. You're, I love it that same thing with the laser systems. I put it on my brain for stuff. I, I'm always... Right experimenting on myself before yeah. I ever played with my patients. But yeah. I love it that, you know, you check you're... your testosterone. Are <laughs> no. you checking your tea? No, <laughs> I have not. Oh, no. So Tucker, have you heard of, Tucker? you know, who Tucker Carlson yeah. Yeah. And, and testicular tanning? Did you hear that? With the LT stuff? Oh, yeah. It was yeah. all over the news. It was hilarious. And he was putting on his balls and he went on this like campaign about how men aren't manly enough because our mm -hmm. testosterone levels aren't high enough and red light can fix that. Yeah, well, I would be for my fertility patients. Red light can give off LEDs can give off heat, and so you don't want to cook your balls. So I, it doesn't mean it will. It's all theoretical, but some systems give off more heat than others. Where the laser systems may be different um, that we we use. So that one I just want to share. Two is the that study that I looked at to improve um, libido and testosterone was laser. They did it over the brain. Oh, interesting. Right. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Because you know you. 
think about it. You don't always have to, you always think it's got to be local. Dr. Right. Oshiro with his low level laser therapy, his approach was not over the ovaries. Yeah. He did carotid, satellite ganglia, occiput to in turn on the parasympathetic that caused blood flow head to toe. That's why he did it for the two menopausal women with back pain. If I can bring blood to the back, it'll accelerate the healing. And then he locally did the back. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. So now, sense. and then we have other studies that we do both in our clinic. Anyhow, we're doing the yeah. sacrum, we're doing the ovaries, the gut microbiome, and we're doing around the carotid and stellate ganglia. So we do uh, multi areas. And as you know, with the brain, like, you know, it starts here to communicate to the pituitary, to communicate to the ovaries, to get things going. So there may be other ways to raise that testosterone other than cooking your balls, but yeah, if you're don't doing your balls for with the red light, yeah, don't tan your testicle. If you're done fertility, it's a cool, go for it. But if you're yeah. still trying to conceive with yeah. that sperm, I would be cautious. Well, now, now I'm wondering if you should get like a red light helmet, get one for your back of your neck, lower back and ovaries and just sit there. Well, we, tr in my clinic, they're getting all that when I do the low level uh -huh. laser in our clinic. And so yeah. we're using LED systems, but professional, professional LED, like as in, yeah. so we can, in the half an hour to an hour that they're there, we can get enough photons mm -hmm. and we're using probes as well. And as I mentioned, I have the Giga laser, which we plan to hopefully um, use. And we got the BioFlex Giga and we can do a little study with maybe more than one arm. So to yeah. see what this is doing. And um, maybe we'll figure something out with the PRP. I'll send yeah. some Canadians to you and we'll, yeah. we'll get the we'll totally. Help. So how do, how do we find you? Where should they oh, go easy. to find you? Yeah, anything Egg Whisperer. So if you just put it in, you'll find me on YouTube, my website, Instagram. And I love just teaching people about all my different methods. So one of my favorite things are my classes. So eggwhisperschool.com is where people can sign up for my IVF classes, egg freezing classes, and tushy method classes. Love it. Okay. We're going to have, as this evolves, because this is so in its infancy, th 300 plus cases, I hope we can have you back to talk more mm -hmm. about the PRP. Totally. Thanks, Thank Lauren. you. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach, using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to AccuBalance.ca, that's A-C-U-Balance.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious, and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.